Welcome into Outkick the Show. I am your fearless leader, Clay Travis. I hope all of you are having fantastic Tuesdays wherever you may be across this great country or this great land. If you are a Georgia Bulldog fan, I hope you are better right now than Stetson Bennett was early this morning celebrating the big national championship, first one for the Georgia Bulldogs since 1980. Uh, right off the top here, Sports gambling now legal in New York. It's going to be legal in many other jurisdictions in the near future. Encourage you to go get your bets in at fanduel.com slash clay. That is fanduel.com slash clay and you will be well on your way, hopefully, uh, to being able to uh, make some money because we had a lot of success. One last night, I told you Georgia was going to cover the two and a half or the three. I told you the under was the play, although admittedly, I got really nervous when Georgia scored 21 points in the final eight minutes and I was afraid Bama might steal some points there on the final drive. But I think you have to give a big shout out to Kirby Smart. Kirby Smart now is the third best coach, in my opinion, right now in college football. One is Nick Saban. Two is Dabo Sweeney. Third is Kirby Smart. And he, as a former Georgia player, longtime Bulldog, vanquished the, uh, the, the haunting imagery that was associated with 1980 when Herschel Walker, I believe, was a freshman and the Georgia Bulldogs had last won their national championship after being 0-4 against Nick Saban, including a devastating loss a few years ago in overtime when Tua hit Devontae Smith for the touchdown. This was a remarkable return to uh, return to prominence for the Georgia Bulldogs. Now think about this in a larger context. What this represents more than anything else is the continued impact of high-level recruiting. And also, this is a little bit of a departure from what we've seen of late where national championship quarterbacks have all been elite first-round draft picks, whether it was Deshaun Watson, Trevor Lawrence, Tua, uh, with Mac Jones, so many different recent quarterbacks who have won championships, Joe Burrow, have been elite first-round draft picks. This was a throwback. Stetson Bennett, I think one of the best stories we have seen in a long time. This is a kid who was a walk-on initially at Georgia, who dreamed of winning a national championship for the Bulldogs. You saw him tear up on the sidelines during that interception return for a touchdown when he realized that his dream was going to come true. Props to him on the offsides for dropping back to throw and taking a shot downfield to give Georgia the lead. I believe that they would never relinquish. Uh, the Bulldogs bounced back. Really, I got a couple of stats for you about how good this defense was because they are one of the best defenses that we have ever seen. Uh, Georgia, even with giving up 41 points to Alabama in the SEC title game, allowed just 10.2 points per game, the fewest points that were allowed in a game in a decade in college football. Georgia played 15 games and only allowed 16 touchdowns. Result, the SEC has won 12 of the last 16 national championships, including the last three, all three by different schools, LSU, Alabama, and Georgia. Uh, and on top of that, uh, I think the SEC is poised. I, it was interesting. There now have been six national championships. 
by six different SEC schools uh, during the course of 1998 to the present day. That's since we started playing one versus two. Tennessee won the first year of one versus two. Auburn, Alabama, LSU, Georgia, and Florida. No other conference has more than two. Florida State and Clemson have won championships uh, in the ACC. Miami won a championship in 2001 with uh, the Big East before they were in the ACC. Oklahoma and Texas, who will soon be in the SEC, have both won championships. USC, Ohio State is the only school in the Big Ten to win a national championship in the last 23 years. They've won two. I'm talking about consensus national championships. And USC and Ohio State are the only schools outside of the SEC footprint. Yes, I am counting Oklahoma as a part of the SEC footprint uh, for purposes of kind of, where else did you put them? I guess you could put them in the Southwest by themselves uh, alongside of Texas. But to me, no, Oklahoma and Texas, uh, in terms of the culture that you feel, feels Southern when you are there. So USC and Ohio State are the only two schools from outside of the SEC footprint now that have won national championships going all the way back to 1998. And ultimately what this reflects is you got to have top five recruiting classes now to win national championships. Congrats to Kirby Smart. Congrats to the Georgia Bulldogs. If you ask me right now, and by the way, let me give you the 13 schools uh, that have won national championships. I think I just did, actually. Uh, if you ask me right now, who would you bet on, Clay, to be the next team to win a national championship that hasn't already won one, I think I would go with Texas A&M. They've got Jimbo Fisher, who is a national championship winning coach, who is already there. There aren't even very many national championship winning coaches still coaching in college football right now. Uh, because remember, Urban Meyer's not there anymore. Uh, you've got Coach Ogeron, who is out. Uh, you really just have a handful that have even won a national championship. You could argue Lincoln Riley, although SC is probably going to take a couple of years to get back being really good. You could argue Jason Day because C.J. Stroud is going to be really good. Anybody who watched what happened in the Rose Bowl would have to be a big believer in that going forward. But in the meantime, Georgia has exorcised its sports demons in the space of just a couple of months. We had the Atlanta Braves win their first World Series since 1995 and we also had the Georgia Bulldogs win their first national championship since 1980. So if you are watching this right now and you are a Georgia Bulldog and an Atlanta Braves fan, you have had one whale of a past couple of months. Congrats, you deserve it. Let's chop on. I'm a big Braves fan as we move into next season, see whether or not the Braves can defend uh, their World Series title. Um, I think this is significant. I don't know how many of you saw this, uh, but I shared a clip that CNN is now investigating me for fact-checking, right? I got a bunch of emails from CNN asking me about fact-checking. Um, and the data has to do with a couple of things associated with COVID. I'm going to get to that in a moment. But first, we just hit an all-time hospitalization high for COVID in the country. 140,576 people are hospitalized with COVID. Now, you will notice, according to the Wall Street Journal, you will notice that I said with COVID. What is the purpose of me saying with COVID? Because many of those people 
are hospitalized not because of COVID, but with COVID. Let me give you an example. If you are a pregnant mom and you go in to deliver a baby and they test you for COVID, which they would, and you test positive for COVID, you're listed as a COVID hospitalization even though you're likely to be 100% healthy and the only reason you're in the hospital is to deliver a baby. If you get into a car accident and you break your leg and they bring you in an ambulance to the hospital and you are asymptomatic for COVID, but when they bring you into the hospital, they test you and you test positive, you will show up as a positive for COVID. So we don't know exactly what percentage of these people are actually in danger from COVID uh, going forward. But the data out of New York, where they're suddenly breaking up all of the COVID data for COVID, uh, for being in the hospital with COVID versus being in the hospital because of COVID, it appears to be at best uh, around half of these hospitalizations are actually taking place because of COVID. Now, the standard by which we measure hospitalizations has not changed. So this has likely been true going all the way back to, uh, to wh whatever it is, March of 2020 when we began to look at the data. Now, within that context, the CDC has for a long time had on its website comorbidity data. And so I'm going to share this with you. Uh, the number of deaths that mention, I'm reading directly from the CDC website, the number of deaths that mention one or more of the conditions indicated is shown for all deaths involving COVID and by age groups. For over 5% of the deaths, COVID was the only cause mentioned on the death certificate, which means that for roughly 95% of the remaining deaths, there were multiple comorbidities. For deaths with conditions or causes, in addition to COVID, on average, there were four additional conditions or causes per death. Now, that's been on the CDC website for a while. Yesterday, I shared a clip of the CDC director saying that 75% of people who are uh, dying with COVID are doing so with four or more comorbidities. Now, she was evidently focusing on a tiny subset of the data instead of the large data uh, sample size, which is currently available on the website to try to argue for the efficacy of vaccines. I shared that clip. CNN has gotten triggered. And so they're asking me like, hey, are you going to take down that tweet? Are you going to? And I said, no, because the data that I shared and I linked directly back to them on uh, the CDC's own website is, if anything, what I said in the CDC uh, director clip and the, the, the tweet that I sent out is actually, if anything, inaccurate in terms of not being uh, sharing the percentages high enough. Because I said 75%, you can argue up to 95% of all COVID deaths are occurring with comorbidities and an average of four comorbidities. I think that's worth paying attention because since those of us who looked at the data since March or April of May of last year have known that COVID is primarily impacting the elderly and the obese. And that if you are not elderly and if you are not obese, your risk factors from COVID are low. I've already had COVID. I recovered from it. I had no major issues associated with it. The truth is, I'm not super young, but I'm 42. Most people who are relatively young and relatively healthy like I am have zero issues 
going forward associated with COVID uh, and recover from it and then have natural immunity. So CNN is trying to fact check that. I don't know why. I think it's a desperate acknowledgement that the narrative surrounding this being a pandemic of the vaccinated is uh, the unvaccinated is collapsing and they are desperate to try to change the narrative now. And that's why Biden, I'm going to talk about the filibuster here in a moment. Uh, but speaking of that, I'm going to check right now and see if it's still up. Uh, there was a clip, some of you may have seen it, um, which is really pretty interesting. Uh, and the data is reflective of something pretty substantial. And that data is this. Um, the Pfizer CEO said his company's two-dose COVID vaccine provides limited if any, protection against Omicron. Uh, I shared that interview with the Pfizer CEO this morning because I think it's super significant. Why is it super significant? Because right now, the Biden administration is trying to mandate vaccines for basically the entire country, 84 million people who work at employers that have 100 or more employees. And that's what the Supreme Court is hearing the case on. But the Pfizer CEO himself says that his own COVID vaccine has limited, if any, protection against Omicron. So if that's true, how in the world can the Biden administration and OSHA argue that we have to have the vaccine mandate in order to protect people when, again, by the CEO's own words at Pfizer, he is saying they provide the first two shots limited, if any, protection. Now, he says if you get the third shot, you can have more protection. He also says that by March, uh, he thinks they're going to have an Omicron-specific vaccine. More power to you if you want to take that shot. But how in the world can we mandate a shot, two shots actually, when the COVID uh, impact, according to the Pfizer-owned CEO, is limited, if any, in terms of the protection against Omicron? And also, and I think this is massively important, how is it that Twitter took down that interview clip which was from Yahoo News, citing a copyright violation. This is fair use. It's also incredibly newsworthy. You should, if you are a Supreme Court justice, want to hear what the CEO of Pfizer is saying about his vaccine. You should, if you, in my opinion, if you are a person attempting to engage in the marketplace of ideas and debate whether vaccine mandates should be enforced or not, have that data and have that video to be able to view and help it to inform your opinion, which theoretically would become more intelligent the more opinions you are able to experience. So this is all incredibly significant. I hope Twitter leaves up the new version that I retweeted because I think people need to see that. And the Pfizer CEO, I would give him an open forum to come on the Clay and Buck show. We don't run and hide from people who may or may not agree with us. So if the CEO of Pfizer wants to do interviews, we would give him an opportunity to come on the Clay Travis and Buck Sexton show, the biggest radio show in the country, and be able to explain exactly what he means relative to Omicron and the vaccine. So that video, I think, is incredibly significant. It's also incredibly significant. Dr. Fauci was on Capitol Hill today and Rand Paul continued to ream him over issues surrounding, major issues I would say, 
surrounding gain-of-function research, what our tax dollars did or did not do. You know, Dr. Fauci is the highest paid government employee in the entire country. He makes more than $400,000 a year. Fauci is higher paid than the President of the United States. Now, I understand that he's a doctor and that $400,000 a year for a doctor is not a monumentally massive salary, right? There are lots of doctors making more than that. But the fact that Fauci is making over $400,000 a year and that the evidence seems to suggest that he was providing taxpayer-funded dollars to gain-of-function research in China that might well have led to COVID ultimately escaping from a lab and creating the past two years of messes that we have seen is, to a large extent, a very important data point that deserves to be explored. And Fauci continues to fight with Rand Paul and not provide, in my opinion, very sound answers as to why he was attempting to marshal scientists to shut down any discussion of the possibility that this virus might have originated in a lab and escaped there as opposed to originating from an animal and jumping to a human. I am not an expert in, uh, in virology, but the data that I have seen and the experts in virology that I have read suggest that it's far more likely that this vaccine sorry, that this virus escaped from a lab than it is that it arose naturally from an animal. Uh, and, uh, and it remains to be seen. I give props to Senator Rand Paul for holding Dr. Fauci accountable when a huge number of people involved in our media refuse to ask legitimate questions of Rand Paul, uh, sorry, of Dr. Fauci at all. Uh, all right, finally, uh, we've got... Joe Biden, I believe he may be speaking even right now. Um, And to me, what is really intriguing uh, about Joe Biden's speech, demanding that they modify the filibuster, I was reading at Politico earlier, there aren't votes to get this voting rights bill passed right now, even if they try to modify the filibuster and allow it to pass with only 50 votes. Joe Manchin, Kirsten Sinema, Senator Kelly, also from Arizona. Uh, I believe Max Baucus from Montana. There, and then Gene Shaheen from, uh, from New Hampshire. There are a bunch of Democrats in the Senate who it appears to me, uh, based on what is going on right now, are not votes for this voting rights bill at all. Now, I've said this on the radio show for a while. The voting rights bill is going to get shot down. Right? In my opinion, the Supreme Court is not going to allow it because it's usurping the federal power that states have to set regulations. And the Supreme Court has been giving states more and more power to set those uh, regulations in place and uh, not allowing restrictions to govern on a more and more significant basis going forward. So I have not seen anything that suggests to me that this is a constitutional bill that should be passed regardless. I don't know what's going to happen with Joe Biden's agenda. It appears Build Back Better is effectively done as we move up on approaching mid-January. And it also appears that the voting rights bill is effectively done. Uh, I don't know if they're going to actually put it on the floor and vote for it, but I do think it's significant that Stacey Abrams, 
who is running for governor from Georgia. And remember, Stacey Abrams was the patron saint of Democrats, despite the fact that she lost by 50,000 votes in 2018, the governor's election, and never conceded. Despite the fact that that happened, she has become the patron saint of the Democratic Party. She won't even appear with Joe Biden for this address, which suggests that her polling is showing her that being associated with Joe Biden in advance of 2022 is bad for her, uh, which is a sign of how far underwater Joe Biden is, that in a state that he either wins or is very competitive in, he's still not able to actually uh, bring any value to Stacey Abrams right now. That's how far underwater he is, even in states that he technically won for the Electoral College the politicians that are running there do not want to be associated with Joe Biden. At least Stacey Abrams doesn't running for statewide office. All right. I love all of you. Congrats to the Georgia Bulldogs on kicking down the door and winning a national championship. I hope you followed our bets. Go ahead and get signed up if you're in New York State and you're watching this. FanDuel.com slash Clay. This has been Outkick the Show. DBAP, unless you need to SBAP. I will be live tomorrow. Encourage you. So go download the podcast. Uh, fantastic stuff in the podcast with uh, doc, uh, with uh, a bunch of different people. Congressman Jim Jordan, uh, Senator Ron Johnson, and also our friend Alex Berenson on the latest COVID data. You can listen to it all. I guarantee you'll be entertained. This has been Outkick the Show. DBAP, unless you need to ask BAP.